Hey, esse é o primeiro episódio do podcast Time Out, espero que vocês gostem. Dessa vez eu conversei com o Drew Hudnall, meu amigo, meu grande amigo, que a gente conversou sobre vários assuntos, tá bem interessante a conversa, a gente falou sobre diferenças entre Brasil e Estados Unidos, sobre comidas, sobre religião, o negócio pegou fogo, então espero que vocês gostem e vai ouvindo aí, tá bem legal. Drew Hudnall, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Drew, um, I know you have married a Brazilian girl, that you lived mm -hmm. here in Brazil for a couple of years, but I don't know how you ended up here in this jungle. So I want to know a little bit more about the, the story, your connection with Brazil. Can you tell us? Yeah. So, what, all right, I have taken the scenic route in life a little bit. Um, I ended, so I graduated with my first undergraduate degree from college in 2010 with a degree that I'm doing nothing with. Uh, I graduated with a degree in music and when I had really no idea what I was going to do with that, I wasn't sure. But whenever I was uh, about to graduate, I met a guy at a convention that ended up, uh, he told me he was going to move to Brazil. He's a Brazilian guy. Ended up, mm -hmm. You know who I'm talking about, but I will not... Yeah, please don't. Information. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So I met him and a missionary that we both know, Earl Hobner. Yeah. Um, they would travel up and down the river, like, uh, doing kind of medical treatment for these remote villages um, that didn't yeah. have... So you've been here two times already, before you came, like, for yes. to Goiânia. Mm-hmm. Right. So that you know, this is weird, even for Brazilians. You know, like all, many Brazilians don't know the Amazon. Oh yeah, no, <laughs> it's awesome though. That's so I loved that region. Um, I like outdoors and that kind of stuff. But yeah, I, that was really cool getting to go there, and I recommend it to any Brazilian or American. Oh yeah. Um, but yeah, so. I had been there a few times, met him. He told me he was going there to start a school of music and missions. I was like, oh, my degree's in music. Uh, I've always been pretty impulsive. Like, I just do a lot of things without thinking too much about it, especially my most major life decisions. Uh, <laughs> okay. Whenever I married Deb, I told her, I was like, I'm like 80% sure about this, but, but that's as sure as I'll be about anything <laughs> ever. So that's, that's as good as it gets. Wow. Um, But, I mean, like, just recently I moved to Florida, which is about 20 hours from away from where I lived before to go to graduate school and pursue my master's. Um, but anyway, I followed my impulse on that one, moved to Brazil, started teaching English and music at the school. Um, I was teaching, like, piano and guitar and mm -hmm. drums. Um, uh, that's actually how we basically met, Kylie Yeah. You, I was your student. Yeah, of piano. Yeah. Uh, and then after a while, we kind of... After a while, so I started, like... I moved there in 2000... The, end of, the beginning and first week of, like, 2011. Mm -hmm. And then I met my wife, Deborah, like... I would say in February, like, right after I moved there. It didn't take us long long to kind of hit it off when we started dating yeah we're gonna get there wait <laughs> yeah because i want to i want to ask you first uh what was what was the stereotype you had in mind before coming to brazil before coming to the amazon and everything because we know like the standard stereotype for brazil was that what you used to think about it um no but that's only because i'm fairly oblivious to stereotypes like I don't I love stereotypes <laughs> I, I see them now and I, I understand them from other people uh -huh. but it takes a lot for me to recognize or, or that people even have certain stereotypes like I remember whenever I was in high school and it's a really common stereotype here that like and I'm just recognizing this as a stereotype it's it's like super offensive and hurtful and I don't like these things at all But, you know, there's a common stereotype here in the United States that, like, black people love fried chicken. Mm -hmm. I didn't, like, I was in high school, and I remember hearing something about, like, black people like a fried chicken. I was like, what? Like, it was a joke about it or something. I was like, I don't, I don't get that joke. That's mostly because I'm not really attentive to 
a lot of things like that. I kind of miss out on some fine details. But so all that to say, I didn't have a real stereotype about Brazil other than soccer. That was probably it. Right. That was like the only stereotype that I really knew of Brazil. Not mm-hmm. even like the, the party, like easygoing stereotype. That's the one that most Americans have. But I never had that. I never like knew that that was a stereotype until I moved to Brazil. Mm-hmm. So you had uh, probably reference like Ronaldo, Ronaldinho. Yeah, because it was like that was whenever I like first knew anything about Brazil. It was around 2002, whenever they won the the cup. So that yeah, like so good so, times. Yeah, yeah, Ronaldo, Ronaldinho, Kaká. Uh-huh. Like those players were my reference for Brazilian culture. Right. So, and what has changed now? Like, because you knew a lot about soccer, and now, you, obviously, you're married to a Brazilian, and you know a lot about Brazilian culture. Like, mm-hmm. what what is different now for you? Um. Well, like I said, I didn't have much of a stereotype. The stereotype that I have, that I recognize, not that I have, like I don't believe in this stereotype. The stereotype that I. I know is common. I learned of, of Brazilians. I learned in Brazil, which is kind of like you know. It, since I learned it there, it's really what Brazilians think is the stereotype of themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, so it didn't change any the way I saw anybody, but it definitely it kind of opened my eyes to what Brazilians thought everybody else thought of them. And I will say also, there's not a strong, strong, like, Brazilian stereotype here in the United States. Like, Hmm. we know about the soccer, but at least from what I've experienced, we don't have the whole, like, Brazilian party stereotype like Brazilians think we do. Yeah. I think. Um, Yeah. Yeah, let me get this. Because we don't know anything about Carnaval. Nothing. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Because I feel like, and correct me if I'm wrong, I feel like uh, in general, in general, most Americans don't know much about Brazil. Like no, almost nothing. Like whenever yeah. I would talk to people, whenever I would come back from Brazil, they'd be like, "Oh, how's your Spanish?" <laughs> oh you no, know, they don't yeah. speak Spanish, dummy. <laughs> yeah, and we feel deeply offended by that. I don't know why, but <laughs> yeah. But it's just because Americans know so little about Brazil. Like, they know about yeah. the Amazon and soccer, and that's that's about it. Yeah, that's true. But uh, but now you live in Florida, and which is the concentration of Brazilians is very high, right? <laughs> yeah, actually. So the place that I um, there's a city about 20 minutes from where I live, and by percentage, it's the highest percentage of Brazilians of anywhere. In the United States, and it's like 11% Brazilian by population. Yeah. And how bad is it? I'm just joking. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, I actually love it. Uh, we go there a lot to go to like some of the restaurants and like little uh, like mesadias and things like that. Really? Yeah. Can you find Brazilian so- products there? Oh, anything. There's nothing I cannot find there. Pamoya? Can you find Pamoya there? Yes. No way. Yes. There's a bakery that has Pamoya. Oh man! Oh, there's one thing I can't find, and it's my very favorite Brazilian food. Which, which is? Acarajé. What? <laughs> oh yeah, I it's your favorite. Acarajé. It's your favorite huh? Brazilian food, right? Yes. Oh man, that's. But there's weird. like so no. many acai places, and it's like Brazilian acai places, not not like American ones. Which, by the way, the Brazilian acai is way better because ours is like American acai is like very feach, you know. Yeah, like like with she and weird things like that. Oh like, no! Yeah, I know. America, you ruined it. <laughs> no, <laughs> it's really depressing. <laughs> and okay, now you mentioned your favorite Brazilian food, which is uh-huh. acarajé, which is very specific because like uh-huh. we cannot find acarajé here in Guyana very easily. Yeah, only uh, the feira da lua. Feira da lua, yes. Yeah. Okay, just for the people who are not from Guyana who's listening to this, Feira da Lua is like the biggest street market, right? In, yeah. In Guyana. So, um, yeah, you can find anything there. And Acarajé, but I, I I really don't think it's the authentic Acarajé, which is obviously you can I had find it once, and it was, 
I don't. It tasted like any other acarajé. I thought. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you like spicy food in general, right? Oh yeah, I love it. Yeah. And which is your least favorite food in Brazil? Brazil. Uh, let me think. Be honest. You can hurt our feelings. Oh, picky. Okay. It's picky. Picky. <laughs> picky right? to me tastes like permanent marker. <laughs> or oh, gasoline. Never, never, never tried that, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, me either, but. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't like picky either. Do you like. Do you know what Guariroba is? Oh, uh, that's not as bad to me as like some other. If we're talking about like vegetables and those kinds of things, like mm-hmm. like a single ingredient, it's got to be jiló. Oh yeah, yeah, it's terrible. You don't have jiló in, in the United States, right? No. Do you even know how to say jiló in English? I don't know. No, I have no idea. Yeah, all right, I don't know either. And do you <laughs> remember uh, when you went to the Amazon River? Um, there, I ate something which tastes like nothing. Which is called Tucumã. Do you remember having no. that? It's a no, yellow thing. That? Looks like piqui. No. I, I just know that it tastes like nothing and they worship this thing there. <laughs> they they eat it with they yeah. They eat with bread and um butter and tu- uh-huh. and tucumã inside, which makes no difference because anyway. Yes. <laughs> so your least favorite food is piqui, right? Yeah. And Gilo. That makes sense. Yeah. yeah. And, okay, one thing controversial, too, is Brazilian desserts, which is, mm. I know for a fact that many Americans find our desserts extremely sweet. Uh-huh. So... Yeah, to me... Well, I'm not a huge dessert person in general. Mm-hmm. Um, I like dessert, but it's got to be like a fruit-based dessert. Like, I like fruit pies, like the ones you see on, like, a stereotypical American uh, movies and TV shows and stuff, like apple pie and mm-hmm. and cherry pie and things like that. That, I love. Mm-hmm. But other than that, I'm not crazy about cake, which you guys love, like, torta. Yeah. I just, it's okay to me. I don't, I like it. I don't love it. Um, but to me, and I think... I'm really the only American that I know that has this opinion. Um, I don't... To me, everything tasted like uh, leche condensada. Condensed milk, uh, yeah, yeah. Condensed milk, yeah. So, like, that's why I'm not... I, I know that I am going to be crucified for this, and I deserve it. <laughs> you are going to. <laughs> I do not really like bigadero. Um. Okay, this podcast is over. Uh, so. <laughs> <laughs> Did you hear my chair squeak after I said that? Yeah, yeah. Because it was good timing. It was like I don't like brigadeiro. Yeah, <laughs> you know this is Satan. You know because God allowed Satan to hunt you right now because because yeah. of your opinions. <laughs> yeah, I don't. I don't think it's bad or anything. I just don't. Well, I asked I you to I be honest, to and uh, <laughs> you gave me your honesty, which I appreciate. But to me, but... it's only because like the leche con- it's like too- it's just a lot of condensed milk, and that's so it- condensed milk to me is just a little too sweet. Yeah, and well, yeah, it's your opinion, but we use condensed milk in almost every dessert possible here. Yeah, I know. Yeah, uh, which is the base of our lives. So. Oh, but I do like it in other things. Like, I really love, like, mousse de maracujá. Oh, yeah. It's good. Yeah, that's... And that's got a lot of condensed milk in it, so I don't know. Well, you're going to have to pray about it, Drew. <laughs> ask, ask for wisdom. <laughs> yeah, I need something. Yeah. And which is, like... Um, no, I'm going to give you my opinion right now about American food. Yeah. Oh, which, yeah, please. Yeah. Because... Uh, the stereotype I had before going to the United States was just fast food, right? Like uh-huh. McDonald's and Burger King. That's all I'm going to have there. Yeah. But then I, like the first time I went to the United States and the only time I went to the United States was to your house and you are extremely healthy, you and, Del- and, you and Deborah. So I don't know if it is because I went to your house or because... It is like that in most American families, but I ate extremely healthy in the United States. Like, uh-huh. 
I didn't eat anything like fat or like in like uh, worst case scenario we went to Krispy Kreme which I love and oh <laughs> oh <laughs> so good right oh I miss Krispy yeah. Kreme so much yeah. yeah so what what is reality and what is like what's happening is it um there's really it's just that there's not really one reality like um I'm not sure you well, you you definitely experience this but we have such a huge range of cultures mm-hmm. here um there are you know there are groups and communities of people that eat a lot of McDonald's and Burger King mm-hmm. but not um I I've never really been a part of those communities and that was just because my family has always been a little bit more health conscious like uh heart heart problems run in my family nothing like none of my grandparents have ever died from heart problems um but most of them have had heart problems mm-hmm. um so we've been a little bit more conscious of, of what we eat because of it right but yeah i've never i just i guess maybe since i didn't eat it early i never developed a taste for it but um yeah i don't know many people that do eat a lot of fast food like that's that stereotype mm-hmm. Yeah, so uh, what I've been told is that usually communities with not a very good economic situation, they tend to eat yeah. more McDonald's and Burger King. and this kind It's of definitely a class thing too, um, economic class. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not... Yeah, that's, that's interesting too because it's so, so cheap here. That was one of the things that I found really interesting living in Brazil was... In Brazil, it's like if you're to stereotype the person that eats McDonald's, they're not poor. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's true. And, and he, that's and almost like is, an event going to McDonald's. Like yeah, exactly. And and people got like so excited about it. Yeah. <laughs> and and we actually have a theory about this. I think since you guys like, I think Brazilians in general like McDonald's a lot more than Americans. Mm-hmm. Um, I think you guys eat it more, so they keep making food like they make it fresh. But here, like, not many people are really crazy about it. So the fries sit around for, like, three hours. Oh, that's great. <laughs> yeah. And I, and there's, like, I don't know if you have ever experienced this. There's a, just a massive, massive difference between McDonald's fries that are fresh and McDonald's fries that are five minutes old. No, I have never experienced that. Like, fresh McDonald's fries, I, I would give my life for. <laughs> but... McDonald's fries that are five minutes old are they kind of taste like a shoe really like a really rubbery and and chewy yeah I like McDonald's fries that's the only thing I I do too McDonald's that I like actually I like the ice cream too oh yeah I was gonna say milkshakes yeah but um, in general I would prefer go to no local burger places here in Guyana oh yeah much yeah I do love burgers like that's my one of my um, typical like American things is I love burgers. Nobody, I just don't like McDonald's burgers. Yeah, but you're right on that. You're just not right about the Brigadeiro story. Just, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> ok, espero que vocês estejam gostando desse podcast. Um, só um adendo aqui. Eu sou professor de inglês também, então se vocês estão pensando em pegar aula de inglês, se tá legal ouvir, se você entendeu uma palavrinha ou outra, é isso que a gente quer. É com a convivência, é falando mais inglês que você, você aprende, beleza? E se você quiser pegar aula comigo, o meu e-mail tá na descrição desse podcast. É só entrar em contato que a gente faz mal online de qualquer lugar do mundo, ok? Thank you so much. So, going back to uh, story how you met uh, your wife. I want to know, I'm curious to know about you have a Brazilian wife and... But you, you've had American girlfriends, right? Yeah. What is the difference between having a relationship with a Brazilian person and an American person? It's a good question. Next question, please. <laughs> uh, I don't... Oh, as far as like a romantic relationship... Because okay, so I'm, to... I'm just gonna give you a context. Because uh-huh. we, I had uh, this 
I, I knew this American girl and she she once told me like I will I would never have a relationship with a Brazilian man because they because Brazilian men they treat their wives like their mothers and yes and I also heard many things about like how uh, Brazilian girls they they like more contact they they like much kissing in public and this kind mm-hmm. of things uh, whereas uh, American girls wouldn't like that. Oh, okay. Now that, like, I, I can't, I hate to even make a comment on this because I don't want to generalize an entire, like, country of women mm-hmm. because I know that they're so, so broad and diverse in, in every country. But you have my permission. In my experience, it's more common for, um, it's more socially acceptable for the woman to be. Or for really romantic couples to be like affectionate in public mm-hmm. in Brazil than it yeah. is in the United States. Mm-hmm. Like we here in the United States, people tend to think that that's uh, just kind of disgusting. Mm-hmm. But in Brazil, it's like a lot more normal. Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah, and but like this about the 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 thing about like how men treat women mm-hmm. is this like. Uh, Something that girls think, American girls think. I think, um, again, we don't have like a super strong stereotype, mm-hmm. but based off the the women that I have talked to that know new Brazilian men, mm-hmm. they all found the Brazilian men very, um, first of all, uh, what we would call mama's boys. Mm-hmm. Yes, um, and again, like this is, I'm not trying to like generalize an entire population of men in a country because there's <laughs> such a broad range of people um but this is the the experience that i've seen yeah um is yes mama's boys and the other thing would be uh very sexist yeah that's true but they're like, right like I, and I and this is a cultural thing it's not it's not like a race racial thing it's a cultural thing mm-hmm. but it's much more common and less offensive, I think, in Brazil when, like, a man starts to talk over a woman. Yeah. So, yeah, can you tell us a little bit more about how you learned Portuguese and if it was difficult at all for you? Yeah, okay, I got freakishly lucky in my life because I'm not, I'm not that good at that many things, but for some reason I was just... Portuguese just came naturally to me, and I don't know why. I... I hate it that it's not that way for everybody, but yeah, um, a lot of it I think has to do with having a musical ear. They say you can hear like intonations more. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not sure if that has to do with anything with it. Maybe it's because I'm very like, as a Brazilian would say, like uh, same vergonha. <laughs> yeah, like I'll, I'm afra- I'm not afraid to like talk and mess up, and I like ever. I'll, I'll just I tried everything. I just like yeah. You, you know what I mean? I wasn't afraid to ever try and make mistakes. But that's learning it. that's what I, I always tell my students. Like you gotta take risks. Like oh you yeah, you just... have to you have to find a way to say something, and then someone will like correct you and say that's not actually the way you say it. But I know what you're trying to say. Yeah, and then yeah. they'll help you out. Yeah. Were you ever shy about like speaking Portuguese? No. <laughs> that's yeah. That's perfect. That's what I keep telling my students. My students, they always like, oh, teacher, so this American uh, talked to me. And I, the first thing I said was, sorry for my English. I was like, just stop saying this, please. Because you <laughs> are the, the person making communication possible, right? Yeah, exactly. So most Americans, and I'm not saying this in a bad way, just because like how America is and because you really don't need it. But most Americans... Don't speak a second language. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, whereas Brazilians, they are always worried, like, oh, I need to learn English, I need to learn Spanish, and you are making communication possible, and you just have to try. And I'm sure, like, I'm, like, 98% sure that they will understand, even if you mess up somehow. Yes. Yes, and, like, yeah, just try it. And, like, for you, for you, again, like what you're saying, you're the one making communication possible. Like, that's such a... That's such a noble, like, honorable thing. Mm-hmm. Um, you shouldn't have to apologize for that. Yeah. 
Yeah. But yeah, we have this uh, syndrome. We call it in Portuguese syndrome of viralata. Uh huh. Do you know what this is? Viralata, like I know, yeah. like a mixed dog. Yeah, but yeah. this syndrome we call it like that. Brazilians in general, we feel like oh, we need we tend to like, and I'm not saying I agree with this, but people say that this exists. That Brazilians like to. You know, like worship an American when they come here, they're gonna be like, "Oh, I'm sorry for my English. I'm so sorry. I'm trying to please you," and blah blah blah. And uh, this is like something that people people say we do, but I don't know. It's like, okay, that is that was definitely my experience um, with with a lot of people. I felt like a really honored guest, but in it made me uncomfortable because we're. I don't know. Americans don't like. Um, I think, in general, we value ceremony much less than Brazilians do. Mm-hmm. Like we don't. Most people aren't. Um, they don't get really excited about their birthdays like Brazilians do. Like you know, birthdays are such a huge deal. Mm-hmm. Um, here, it's. I like almost never do anything on my birthday. Yeah. Um, same with like. New Year's, we don't do anything for New Year's. Um, again, not the whole country. Some people do. There are plenty of people that do. But in general, like it, it's much more common in Brazil. So yeah. that, I don't know, like being treated with such honor, it was, I appreciated it, but sometimes it was, it felt like a little too much. Like I just wanted to be seen as just another person. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And not necessarily like... I don't want to feel like I'm any different, I uh-huh. guess. And yeah. not that that was, you know, it's not like I don't have any hard feelings about that. It's not. I have. Don't no, tell us you hate us, Drew. Tell us. <laughs> no, no. I love. I love Brazil a lot. Uh, I love my time there, and I love the people a lot. Um, so it's it's not that, but it's just. Yeah, I just. I just yeah, no, I understand. Be, I understand. Treat it pretty normally, yeah. Yeah, and you came to live here like for I don't know I don't know if you had like a, a schedule like oh I'm I'm gonna go to Brazil and then I'm gonna come back in this year but you came to live an experienced culture you should be treated like one of us right that's yes. I, that's what you expected I I think right? yeah and I think now I am yeah you are you're as much as a Brazilian as I am. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, I, I uh, appreciate that a lot. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so it was. That's um, an interesting thing to say that it was not so difficult for you to learn, to learn Portuguese because you were taking risks. So, and I mm-hmm. think that's the, the thing that every person learning a second language language should do. You know, like just take as much risk as you possibly can. Absolutely. That's, That's the best advice that you can give. Yeah. One thing people will tell you uh, when they're learning a language, they'll say like, oh, it's it's so, uh, you know, I could, I understand every, everything I hear, but I, I just can't speak it. Yeah, and that's, I hear that a that's lot. That's a lie. That's a lie. <laughs> it's the other way around. Like, you can force out a fr- to say, you can force out the words and you can say almost anything you want. Mm-hmm. But if I'm speaking, like, quickly it's really hard for you to understand like you just hear a lot of syllables you don't hear where the words break mm-hmm. you know what i mean yeah to me listening is by far the hardest part of learning a language oh definitely yes and it's you i think we don't realize it sometimes because we're learning a language with people that know we're learning a language mm-hmm. so they so they speak differently to you they'll speak slowly and break up the words but try watching a movie in a different language with no subtitles and it's mm-hmm. way more difficult yeah. I still, if I'm watching anything in Portuguese, I still will typically turn on the subtitles. I'll turn on Portuguese subtitles, but I'll turn them on. Oh, yeah. I do that with English. Yeah. So, yeah. But I also believe that, okay, it, it is difficult. And whenever I'm teaching, like, basic students, I tend to speak like this. Good morning, people. Yeah. Because yeah? it's easier for them. But also, I believe that, if you really want to learn a language, you should 
you know, like spend as much time possible watching movies or listening to podcasts, like spending time with the language because like people here in Brazil, they, they have classes with me and sometimes they, they want to have one hour a week and I tell them like one hour a week is good, it's better than nothing, but after this class, the rest of the world, your job, your family, they're all going to be speaking Portuguese and if you yeah. don't concentrate your energy on listening to something in English or trying you to... have to listen to something. You have to. Otherwise, you're, you're just going to be able to say good morning, good afternoon, good evening. I know plenty of people. Yeah. yeah, I know people who have learned English from just watching movies in English. Uh-huh. But I don't know anybody who's done it the other way around, where they just like they they just like practiced speaking words that they had read or that they knew, and uh-huh. that got them to learn English. No, it's it's the listening that's gonna make you learn it. Um, and so the thing I was saying about music was, I think that's one thing that was really helpful for me because in my in college I would have to do like, you know my professor would play something on the piano and I would have to write down exactly what he played so I'd have to you have to develop a really really sharp yeah, ear. yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, so I, I think that helped me a lot with being able to understand what I heard yeah hey I hope you're enjoying this podcast just side note here I am an Ozone English teacher and if you want to speak English if you want to have online classes I can help you with your goals, if you want to learn English because you're, you travel a lot or because of business or because you want to immigrate to another country, I can help you. So my email is in the description of this episode. Just let me know. We can work something out. Thank you. I was talking with the uh, with this actually just yesterday with the Brazilian friend I have here um, about how like sometimes people sound, sometimes Brazilians can sound rude in English. But it's just because we phrase things so much differently. Is that right? Uh, Can you give like, me an example? Like if you go to, oh uh, yeah, if you go to a restaurant um, and you like, you make an order, you say uh, like, "Me dá um prato de arroz." It's like if you if you said that same thing in English, like. But you have to you have rice, to call the waiter the proper name. Yeah. Meu consagrado. <laughs> <laughs> but it doesn't matter. Like if you use those words, like. It, no matter what you said, give me a plate of rice. It sounds so bad in English. Yeah, you have to like you have to basically ask for it like as a as a question like, can I get a plate of rice? Mm-hmm. Yeah. If you yeah. don't, it sounds really rude. And yeah. it's, But I mean, again, I'll say like we know that whenever someone's not a non-native English speaker, we we hear that we know like it's not like we're gonna think you're rude for it. So try it. Don't mm-hmm. let that discourage you from trying it. We're gonna understand that like we can tell you have an accent like you're just it's it's not culture like we know that other cultures say things differently it's okay it's not a big deal it's not like you're going to be looked at any differently yeah but if an american were to say it that way it would sound horrible (laughs) (laughs) yeah so uh yeah i have this student and she always asks me like and i tell her like um can I can I get a plate of rice? Right, that's the the proper way to say it. Yeah, exactly. And she says, "But teacher, can't I say, give me a plate?" No, but that's not how people say. It. But that's the translation. But translations, they don't work. Yes. <laughs> Basically, yeah. So, it's good if you like don't know a word and you go to the dictionary. It's like, oh, okay, I know what this word means. But if you translate a phrase. Like yep. from Portuguese to English, it's gonna you're gonna mess up. <laughs> That's I think to me that was one of the most difficult things between English and Portuguese was like because I you know I go to Brazil and hear things like uh, da conta, I was uh-huh. like da conta, and I was doing the thing you know like translating it word for word like give count what <laughs> yeah That's, um, yeah That's or like. And it's the also like the way people greet each other, like, you know, people would greet you. They'd be like, "Tranquilo," and I'm like, "I I don't know how to respond to that. Do I say yes or like <laughs> yeah?" And it's but just it's, by listening that that I realize that people would be like, "Tranquilo, tranquilo." Yeah, you know, just like what's up. It's exactly because Brazilians we we tend to answer, "I'm fine," to what's up. Uh huh. But that's not the correct way. Just, just so like, people don't know this, but 
When we are together, we tend to translate names of stores, right? Yes. <laughs> Or names, just anything, like names of places too, we'll translate them literally in it. it Yeah, like objects or anything. Yeah. Like Rio de Janeiro, we'll say like River of January. Yeah, yeah. Like there is. And it sounds uh, so weird in the other language. Yeah, and from English to Portuguese too, like uh, Victoria's Secret, we just translate to Segredo de Vitória, right? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Which it sounds so bad. Like I would never yeah. open a store with this name. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But okay, and you were talking about accents. Um, uh-huh. which is like something that we tend to worry about a lot here in Brazil like oh we need oh, to yeah. sound like an American I've never met a Brazilian without a Brazilian accent so yeah and, you've, and I you know you've probably never met an American without an American accent so yeah unless they, you're they are born you're prob- here right? if, yeah if you if you learn to speak it later in life you're gonna have an accent don't worry about it absolutely and it's not a problem right nope It's not a problem. And everybody asks me... So one interesting thing about it is they're like... Uh, of course, everybody always asks, what's the difference between beach and bitch? Because <laughs> they're afraid of making that mistake. Uh-huh. Um, but I will say this. Everybody tends to say it like, like bitch, like puta. They uh-huh. end up saying that word instead, which is really strange uh-huh. because the sound, the sound, the I in that word, it makes an it sound. That sound, like, doesn't exist in Portuguese. The sound that exists in Portuguese that's most similar is the E, like, from mm-hmm. beach. Like, mm-hmm. like the letter I in Portuguese is E. Yeah. So, it's, like, the exact same sound. So, if you just make the same sound that you have in Portuguese, you're going to say it right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But if well, you try and change the sound of that E to something yeah. that doesn't exist in Portuguese, you're going to say it wrong. I'm going to the bitch. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So yeah, about books. I remember the last time you came here, you uh, you asked for a recommendation of books in Portuguese because you wanted to read oh, them. Oh yeah, yeah. And I recommended one book, which is called Meu Pé de Laranja Lima, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, did you like it, dude? That book wrecked me. Yeah, me too. I cried. It, and, uh, yes, I loved it. Yeah. It was so. <laughs> it was such a sweet book. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I actually want to read that again soon. Yeah. So I remember you told me that you, you, you gave the book to your teacher. Is that right? Yeah, I, I actually... Um, so recently I went back to school to do English here, mm-hmm. which is like what you guys would call like letras. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and uh, my, my English teacher, um, I wanted like to share this book with somebody because I didn't know anybody who had read it or even heard of it. So I bought it in English too, um, and I I had her read it. Mm-hmm. Did she so like she it? Also, yeah, she loved it. Yeah, the book is so sad. Like, it, it but really you don't is. think it's sad in the beginning. You you feel like ah, oh, it's okay, it's a nice story, and but then it gets like crazy sad. <laughs> but it's not like a depressing or like tragic sad. No, it's not. It's more it's like very, contemplation. It's, it's, Yeah, it's, and it's still very sweet. Mm-hmm. Yes. So, which books would you recommend uh, to the people listening uh, in English? Like, oh, you should read this book because this is like a classic. But also, like, bear in mind that maybe people Yeah, the don't... reading level. Yeah, the reading level, yeah. Oh, gosh, that's really hard to say. Honestly, like, probably the Harry Potter books because... Most people will be like familiar enough with the story to where you can use context to right. to understand things that you've never seen. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, it's not extremely literary, uh-huh. so it doesn't use uh, a, it doesn't use a, like a a really huge vocabulary. Yeah, I think that would probably be a good starting place for for most people. Okay, um, so I want to talk to you a little bit about religion. And I know it's a oh, yeah. controversial topic. Yeah. But okay, I remember when you were living in Brazil, uh, you were a very good influence because you made me run. <laughs> And I'm very <laughs> grateful for that because I started Dude, running. we both did that together because like... Yeah. I was like a lot bigger when I lived in Brazil too. 
Yeah, you lost a lot of weight, right? Uh huh. Yeah. But yeah, but I remember running, uh, and we we would talk a lot while running. And uh -huh. one day you you were telling me about universalism. Yeah. So and I had no idea about what that was. Uh -huh. And you have kind of explained to me briefly. And then I spent, I swear to God, like the next two years thinking about <laughs> that. Yeah. Dude, me too. I'm still thinking about it. <laughs> and I was like, is this, is this real? Because it, it makes sense, but it doesn't. But it should uh -huh. make sense. But it kind of, it doesn't match with what I've been taught or what I'm reading in the Bible. Yeah. Yeah, and, that's for sure. Yeah, and I was like very <laughs> I was very confused for two years, so uh -huh. thank you for that. Uh, yeah. so can you explain just briefly what is universalism? Okay, so I wouldn't first of all, I wouldn't refer to myself as a universalist. Mm-hmm. I would refer to myself as so a lot of people that have these kind of beliefs, they would say they're like uh, rec ultimate reconciliationists, which means that like the difference is that universalists are people that believe that everybody uh, inherits like eternal life uh, in the uh, what most people would call heaven. Which if you're if you subscribe to like biblical belief, it, it kind of talks about how the earth will be recreated, and that's where we'll like reside forever not in heaven uh -huh. um but but most people would kind of refer to that as heaven anyway that the universalist would would say that everybody gets there or uh -huh. no matter what what ultimate reconciliation ultimate reconciliationists would say is that we all get there through christ's redemption uh -huh. so it's not like a it's, it doesn't make Christ irrelevant. Yeah. Like like universalism would. Yeah. And that's that was my problem with universalism. Yeah. So I would say that I'm a, I'm a hopeful reconciliationist because I don't know what I believe about the afterlife. The mm -hmm. only thing that I know that I believe about the afterlife is I don't believe in the existence of a hell where we're like supernaturally... Um, kept alive like and tortured forever for all mm -hmm. of eternity like mm -hmm. because of life it's just i cannot fit that into the character of christ and who he is and what he represents and no matter how you you talk about it i can't see that as loving yeah yeah that would be my second question like what's your position on universalism right now because um it's yeah. if any um, that's as much in um that's as sure as I'll ever be about anything is that I, I'm sh I, I don't believe that there's a hell like what m most evangelical Christians would say there is where we're tormented for all of eternity mm -hmm. and we can't die um, and I also believe that we all will ultimately be resurrected um, I'm not sure what that's going to look like Mm -hmm. And I don't really care either. I don't think the Bible cares. I don't think uh, kind of like the mechanics of how that works. Right. I don't think the Bible addresses that because it doesn't. It's it's so uh, it, distracting. I think. Yeah. Yeah, that is uh, that is complicated. And you know that if this episode of this podcast ever gets famous. You're gonna uh -huh. be in big trouble, my friend. <laughs> yeah, I do. <laughs> oh, I absolutely know that. Yeah, I, I'm actually really. Uh, to be honest, I'm taming down what I. You what I say? Yeah, I know. What I, I want to say. <laughs> <laughs> but that's okay because I think like, um, if you're going I'll to make any, this. yeah, to make to make me not sound like a total heretic, I believe in the like the ultimate. The, the the reason I believe this way is because I believe so much in Christ and what he represented and what his like what he stood for and the power and transcendence of love and grace and it's so it's it, it's capable of transcending literally everything so that's where this belief comes from it's 
if anything, it's maybe too much an emphasis on who Christ was within like the you know the Trinity that we talk about. Um, right. I, I'd rather err on that side than on the other side. Yeah, but the, the, what I was going to say is that uh, it doesn't really matter, like. Because I know this is very controversial, and I wanted to talk about it. Because mm-hmm. you know, like I said, I thought about it for like two years. Mm-hmm. But then, like, it doesn't really matter. Like at the end of the game, because um, you're gonna live your life as a Christian, basically the same way that you should live, right? To an extent. Explain. So, uh, I, to me, this is why I, I decided to me that it does matter a lot. It was because if I take this view, like an ultimate reconciliation view, it just it frees you up from the pressure of um, having to... What, so what gets preached in a lot of evangelical churches today is like... Uh, I mean, you've heard this before, like... If you commit suicide, you you go to hell because you don't have time to ask for forgiveness, right? Right. You've heard that preached before. Yeah, obviously. Yeah. That is obviously like that's so obviously antithetical to what like if you're a Christian, you should be redeemed already. So it it just it doesn't make sense. And that in, in that case, it's not grace because you've done something that can't be forgiven. Mm-hmm. No. So Christ's like grace and mercy is ineffective in that case. Yeah. So it it just doesn't make sense to me. But um what was the question? I kind of lost my place. If it makes any difference in the life of a Christian to believe oh, or yeah, not to yeah. believe in uh, universalism or So that in that case it frees you to be able to um because like worry and guilt can have such a huge um influence on the way you treat other people and the way you live your life. Mm-hmm. Uh, when you're scared of something, it's it's much easier to live in a in a healthy way if you know that you, that you're covered under that mercy than it yeah. does than it, it to be if you're just terrified of making a mistake because you're going to get sent to hell. Yeah. So yeah. I think in that way it makes a it made a huge difference in the way I lived my life. Yeah. I understand, and um, I uh, I was talking to to someone about this the other day. Because I was born in the 90s, so mm-hmm. I don't know how, how different it, it was uh, in Brazil in relation to the United States. But I was born in a Christian environment, but extremely wrong environment. I don't know what if you have this in the United States or if you had that. It's called G12, but it was something that made people, you know, like burn their their belongings because if they had like um, I don't know Disney moving their houses they were gonna go to hell so I was born in this environment where you could not make mistakes and I was living in constant fear of hell and that's terrible that's horrible because if you're like and it's not just fear of hell it's like the shame that you have to deal with because you, you weren't good enough Absolutely, yes. So that like that had many consequences in the rest of my life, and still have it. I'm still fighting against it. You know, like yeah, same. The this fear of making mistakes and the shame and is God gonna forgive me? So when you told me about universalism, universalism, that was a shock for me because <laughs> uh-huh. I was like, that's not what I what I was taught. You know, yeah, it wasn't for me either. Yeah, we didn't have like the G twelve here, but we we had a lot of similar stuff, uh, and it was a, it was a lot less common than in Brazil, but mm-hmm. it still existed. Yeah, but throughout the nineties, there was yeah, definitely like a lot of the we called it we didn't call it then, but now looking back on it, a lot of people refer to it as the satanic panic. That's a good name. <laughs> I'm yeah. gonna start using it in Portuguese. <laughs> yeah, exactly, and it's like this idea that there's like these subliminal like satanic messages and things they have to, you have to get rid of them they can't be any part of your life right yeah that's true that happened 
-hmm. So when you told me about that, I thought about it for two years. And I, <laughs> I really, I thought about it. And I was like, and at certain points, I was convinced I was a universalist. Like, uh -huh. yeah, I like it. But then some things changed. And I now consider myself more as a reformed Christian. Mm -hmm. Like, uh, believe in the in what was taught throughout the ch the history of the church and what you're talking about hell uh, there is a lot of discussion throughout the ch the history of the church about what yeah, hell absolutely. is absolutely right not just mm -hmm. like torment because you said like oh i don't believe in like eternal torment i don't believe that either yes the, uh, that's that's why i said it that way because yeah. I think I know where you're going. I'll let you go there, though. <laughs> yeah. So, um, like, I was reading this Tim Keller book. Do you know who Tim Keller is? Yeah. Yeah. So, then he was saying, like, basically saying that when Jesus died on the cross, uh, he experienced hell because he said, Oh, God, oh, God, why have you forsaken me? Right? Mm -hmm. So, he experienced this hell, which is the absence of God. Yes. So that's where I was going and you knew it, right? Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, that's that's the hell I believe in. Uh-huh. Uh just the absence of God, which must be a torment. <laughs> yeah. Because because it, it, of the sacrifice of Jesus, we have this connection with Jesus and and everything, right? Yes. So, um and one one thing that you were talking about is like the you're talking about the history of the church fathers. Mm -hmm. and things like that and that's a I'm glad you mentioned that because church history is so much more um, diverse in their beliefs than we ever give them credit for it's so interesting that like that my views are considered by so many people like probably heretical mm -hmm. because throughout the church history they had all kinds of crazy views about the afterlife like I did and one of the things that's really interesting too is that so the only guy that that wrote a creed that's accepted by both uh, Roman Catholics, Eastern Orthodox, and uh, Evangelicals, so all in the entirety of Christianity, they only have one creed that they all adhere to. It's the, the Nicene Creed. And the guy who wrote that was a universalist. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. We've we've had all these differing views, and interestingly enough, throughout history, we didn't have to like um, split churches up and hate each other over it. Mm -hmm. We That's were able true. to just like make the like kind of develop theologies around that um, with with some compromise. Like I understand it. It is a really difficult topic to talk about, even mm -hmm. after all those years that you mentioned this <laughs> this theology. I was like, yeah. I'm still like, I don't know. But I, I think if you find yourself like a, a good place, like I found myself in a reformed theology, mm -hmm. uh, then I think you're you're good to go. Just make peace yeah. with the rest of the church. And if a church, if your theology isn't making you any more like Christ, then it sucks. Yeah, that's true. That's probably the that's the, I think the good the good measuring stick for your theology. Yeah, and also if your theology is not leading you to the Bible. Because, like, nowadays we have a lot of... You know what we called coach in Brazil? Like, life yeah. coach? Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of that uh, in the church. Which uh -huh. they... So like They use a lot of philosophy. They use a lot of sociology. And they use a lot of everything. And they hardly ever use the name of Christ. <laughs> in right. But I will... Okay, here's my, like, kind of counterpoint to that. Mm -hmm. Is... Can those things not be just as inspired of wisdom as the Bible? Yeah, but I also think that you, you need to have your own personal connection with with Christ, you know? No, no, I agree. But I just my one of the things that I kind of come to see, especially in evangelical movements, is that they will elevate the crypt the scriptures sometimes above the person of and the and the the divineness of Christ. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And the, well, go ahead. I just have had a, recently a lot of 
So okay, one of the things I'm I'm doing my masters right now, and like I said, it's like it's basically like letras, mm-hmm. but here we have a concentration like you can either study literature, which is what almost everybody does, or you can do rhetoric and composition, which is what I do. Mm-hmm. And basically, that means I can study anything that uses language. And right now, what I'm studying is like um, how Christianity and sexuality work together. Oh wow! That's yeah, they, like that—the intersection of that. Yeah, especially how um, Christianity and like the and queer community mm-hmm. uh, inform each other. Wow! So I've done a lot of like soul searching and thinking about like how this stuff all works together, and I just see how how the Bible has been like almost idolatrized mm-hmm. um, and, and elevated above and not the Bible but like our interpretation of the Bible that we sometimes can't let go um, and it's elevated above Christ and his character and that to me has been I've been so cautious of that and it's been so something really disturbing to me but what is the difference between Christ and his character and the Bible and the gospel for um, example Well, the Bible, a lot of it, I think a lot of misapplication happens because of misinterpretation of the Bible. Not just misinterpretation, mis, like, misuse. Like, if you're going to read stuff that Paul wrote, um, Paul was writing those things for, like, specific purposes to specific people. Mm-hmm. But all the time, those things get preached as if it's, like, you know, Christ giving the Sermon on the Mount. Like, those are just things that we have to obey for all of eternity you know what i mean yeah um whereas like we have to think of why was he saying those things to those people um context it gets taken yeah the context is important and it gets ignored Mm -hmm. there's stuff to be learned there about christ um and his character but it's not always what it seems like it is but how do you learn Like, for example, a person that has no connection whatsoever with, like... Well, it takes reading outside of the Bible. Like, mm, um, where? You know, his, like, co- commentaries. Um, there's a lot of good bloggers. Um, a lot of... Oh, man, there's, like, like, in, like mostly who I follow, actually. I got a Twitter recently. Uh-huh. Um, Mostly because I have, like, I don't have Facebook, so sometimes I just want to share thoughts. Mm-hmm. I have Instagram and Twitter. But uh, most of who I follow on Twitter is, like, theologians. Mm-hmm. But there's a lot of great writers. That, and then, uh, I don't know, you can, if you just start looking for stuff, you'll find a place to get connected to, to more information about that kind of a thing. Yeah. Yeah. I understand. Yeah. But I also don't, I know that's not what you're saying, but I'm just mm-hmm. going to give an extra information here because there is yeah. like a movement here in Brazil right now, which I really appreciate. It's about like studying theology and everything. It's like mm-hmm. my church, they are all enthusiastic about theology and they make groups of study, which is awesome. Yeah. But I also don't think your personal relationship with Jesus, your like devotional every day, like not just, not necessarily every day, but you know, this constant um pursuing should be uh below the um theology itself you know? oh i totally agree yeah because like a lot of people just like oh because i want to read calvin i want to read luther i don't really i want to read uh i know someone else and rook marker and blah 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 and you know they don't spend personal time you know like trying to be more like jesus Uh-huh. Yeah, you're yeah like, read some other people that aren't considered theologians that like remind you of of Jesus. Christ. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. Read some like Nelson Mandela. Absolutely. Yes. So Drew, I asked some people uh to share their problems. And I have uh-huh. two problems here. One is very weird and very confusing, which we're going to try to solve, but 
All right. This is a teenage problem, so <laughs> we're going to have to work on that. And the second one is a very general advice. Okay. So this girl, she asked me for advice for someone leaving college and looking for a first job. And she's, she studies... Uh, I forgot the name. Okay, whatever. She studies something. And she... She feels like she... That's actually really helpful information. Yeah, thanks. She studies something. <laughs> she studies something. She's leaving college and she needs... Okay. And it's very hard to find first job. So what would, what would you recommend? Okay, my advice would be uh, try like everything. If you think you might like it at all, try that. Like I've done so many jobs in my lifetime. So many jobs that I had no idea. Like if I look back at any of my life... If I look back at any time like five years ago from any point in my life, I would say like, I can't imagine I would be doing that in five years. Like my life just looks so much different because I just have done, if I want to do it, I'd do it even if it's not very well organized or thought out. Right. And it's led me to some great experiences. Yeah. Like moving to Brazil and getting married. <laughs> yeah, that was good for you, right? Yeah. <laughs> And if yeah. you do it, if you do, if you follow your impulse, the same exact thing is going to happen to you. Um, so maybe should I move to Brazil? That's, that's sarcasm. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's sarcasm. Okay. So yeah, I agree with you, and I also think that, like, that was my experience because uh, when I was in college, I was already teaching English, and I had like a pretty good salary, uh, and then people offered me internships. I, I was offered just one, to be honest. And then uh -huh. the salary was not good. And I compared with teaching English. But I should have taken it because the experience was more important than the salary in this situation, you know? Yeah. So if you're getting a first job, if, you want, if you're looking for, you know, you want to be a dentist or anything like this, you should get internships doesn't matter you know because experience is more important right now i know you want money i know probably you want to buy your own stuff you don't want to be dependent on your parents or anything like this but experience yeah. is more important at this point dude i've been so poor for the last 10 years of my life but i've had <laughs> so much fun and done so many things yeah that's that's good right that's better than i would not change any of it yeah Oh, that's so beautiful, Drew. Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And the second one is... Okay, I'm going to have to read this because it's complicated. Yeah, that's fine. So this guy, he's a teenager. He's probably 17 or 18. He says that he likes the wrong girls. And he says that it, it it's not the wrong girls in the classic way, which I don't even know what he means by classic way. But he says he likes <laughs> some girls, and I quote, he says, I start liking someone, and then this person becomes my friend. And then I start liking the person that this friend likes as well. Do you understand what I said? Oh, yeah. So he likes someone. <laughs> <laughs> so like John likes Mary, and then uh -huh. John becomes friends with Mary. And Mary likes um, Rachel because, in this case, Mary is lesbian. Uh -huh. So, uh, is it okay for me to say lesbian? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, right. Okay. So, he said he has a lot of lesbian friends. So, John starts liking Rachel. He said, I have a lot of lesbian friends and I always have a good chance of having something with this person, but I'm afraid of messing up my friendship. This is very, a very contemporary problem, right? Uh, I think we've all been here before, Kyle. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's crazy. Yeah. I have never had this experience before. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I haven't either. Yeah. So what would you say? Because I'm lost here. First of Just, all, uh, okay, I'm going to say something very, very uh, mean, mm -hmm. which is friendships come and go. Yes. So like most, you, of them. most of them, yeah. If you know this person is like, oh, this is my best friend. I really like it. So 
just keep your friendship. But uh, if you're if it's just your colleague, of all the people I was friends with in high school, I'm still friends with like one, maybe two of them. Mm-hmm. Yes, me. I I'm not friends with anyone because I'm antisocial. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but also, it's because like the friends you make after high school are the ones that stick. Yeah, that's true. Like yeah. you and I, like, and nothing changes that anymore. Like every time we see each other and talk, it's we just are like at the same place. Like yeah. we left off. Yes. I don't know why. Something is just more meaningful about those relationships you make after high school. Yeah, because high school sucks. That that's why. It's the worst. Yeah. So if you are okay, he is in high school. So my advice is. Just think about is this my like real good friend? Uh, if it's not, just go after this girl you like. Doesn't matter. Yeah. Cause, yeah. Do you do you agree with me? My advice is, uh, man, just just keep eating some brigadeiro. Ah, that's perfect. Yeah. Yeah. Give brigadeiro, right? Yeah. Is that how would you? Is that how you you got the your Brazilian wife? Uh, no, because I don't really like. I know we get crucified for this, but I yeah. don't really like brigadeiro. Yeah. Okay. But yeah, that's my advice for, for this guy. Okay. Yeah. Just stick to the brigadeiro. Yeah. <laughs> okay. All right. Thanks a lot, Drew. <laughs> All right.